Welcome, everybody, to another episode of Glorify Treasure Spread and this special series of episodes where I'm interviewing church members related to our life together as a body of Christ. We've thought already about themes such as protecting doctrine, how that has been assigned to the local church. We've thought about weeping and rejoicing with one another. We've thought about pursuing unity and various other themes that have already released. I'm really looking forward to today's conversation with our sister, Laura Lancaster. Laura, thanks so much for joining this episode. Thank you for having me. And Laura read an article that's entitled, Sing to One Another. Well, just that title alone may cause you to think, hmm, did they mean to title it that way? (laughs) Well, the answer is yes. We'll get into that in a moment. But it was written by Matt Boswell. And some of you are familiar with Matt's ministry. He's one of the pastors of the Trails Church in Salina, Texas. He also has been used to the Lord broadly in, in the kingdom of Christ in our generation in terms of the church giving voice to her theology. And uh, he's written a number of songs, many that Grace Church sings, and he has written other things on the theme of singing and corporate singing. So I'm really thankful that Matt wrote the article, that Laura read it, and especially that she's been willing to join me for this conversation. So with no further ado, Laura, would you summarize Matt's article as succinctly as you can? Sure. Well, he first takes a look at um, Psalm 96, 1 through 3, which is a really short passage, if you don't mind if I just read it. Please. Um, it says, sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless his name. Proclaim good tidings of his salvation from day to day. Tell of his glory among the nations, his wonderful deeds among all the peoples. So he he basically highlights the reasons why we sing, and there were three points. The first being that we sing as an act of worship, and the second being that we sing to disciple one another. There's the singing to one another title. Mm -hmm. And then the third is that we sing as a declaration to the world. Those are his three main points um, taken from Psalm 96, and then he goes a little bit deeper into each one. I think what stood out most to me was the first point. Um, He quotes Don Carson's definition of worship as the proper response of all moral sentient beings to God, ascribing all honor and worth to their creator God, precisely because he is worthy, delightfully so. It stood out to me that worship, it, it is a command, but it's also this overflowing response that Christians have towards God from their heart. He said earlier in the article that there's at least uh, 50 direct commands for us to sing in scripture and Mm. singing is mentioned over 400 times. So it's a command and yet it's a joy for the Christian. All obedience to God isn't just, we just obeying, but it's a joy to obey for those who delight in God. Yeah. Um, So it stems first from, from loving and delighting in God. And just like, Psalm 96 said, sing to the Lord all the earth. I love that he commands the whole earth to praise him. It doesn't require a beautiful voice, just the voice that he's given you or each one of us. Scripture says, let the heavens be glad and let the earth rejoice. Let the sea roar and all it contains. This is later in Psalm 96. 
Let the field exult and all that is in it. Then all the trees of the forest will sing for joy. So I just think that idea of it's all creation sings and glorifies mm-hmm. God with its own unique voice. I've heard it before. The inanimate objects give God praise and they do. The stars, yeah. the trees, the Psalm 96 themes. Then uh, how much more ought these uniquely endowed creatures stamped with the Imago Dei right. resound to God's glory? Singing to the Lord is a command. As you said, I think you said he pointed out some mm-hmm. 50 times and then 400 yes. times the idea of singing to the Lord. May we grow in the joy-filled obedience to that good command. It certainly does generate joy in in the heart of believers as we sing to our God. Would you mind saying just a word or two about those second two categories, singing yeah. as a means of discipling one another and as a means of declaring God's truth to the world? Just take those one at a time. Yes, the article is fairly short. So even to summarize it, um, it already feels like a summary, but he, from Psalm 96 two, it says, as we sing, we should, as it says, tell his salvation from day to day. So the content of the song that we're singing is the salvation of God. The title, Sing to One Another. We're singing to one another, not just to God. He's first and foremost our audience member number one, the main focus of our worship. But we're also singing to one another as a mode of encouraging each other in the gospel, that the salvation of God. I just think it's Colossians 3.16 that Paul says, let the word of Christ dwell richly in you, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your hearts to God. So that that singing to one another with one another is a means of disciple making and pressing us on to be more like Christ and love him more. Well, that horizontal aspect, which you're touching on singing to one another presupposes that, of course, the Colossian text singing to one another in the Ephesian parallel passage singing and making melody with your hearts to the Lord. Yes. But the verse begins Ephesians five nineteen, speaking to one another in Psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Yeah. It presupposes that we can hear one another sing. Some of us are apprehensive. You, you said earlier, it's not necessarily a beautiful voice. It's just the voice God's given us. And right. some of us are apprehensive about how we sound, maybe insecure, maybe painfully aware of how we sound and therefore perhaps reluctant to let our voice rise above a faint whisper mm-hmm. for fear that we might distract someone. I, mm-hmm. I didn't prep you for this, but what yeah. might, what might you say to a believer who says, uh, I hear, I hear what you're saying. I know God's word tells me to sing to one another but I feel like I would be more of a uh, a detriment to someone's spiritual encouragement <laughs> than, than a help. What would what would you say? I would say that God commands it of you to sing. I think even in uh, maybe one is weak in evangelism or or strong in evangelism. I just think of the different gifts of the body. Yeah, that one is weak and one is strong in those, but that doesn't mean we don't evangelize or mm. uh, or be hospitable. Asha Foster is a wonderful uh, example of hospitality. That doesn't mean I shouldn't be hospitable because she's so good that I shouldn't do it at all. I don't want to 
you know, be compared yeah. that that's, I think the comparison game can mm. creep into our flesh. And so I would say, do it anyways. God commands it of you and it's a delight. And I will say as I, I do have a music background and so, and I do enjoy singing and I love hearing a beautiful voice, but I have, I can be honest and say, I have heard maybe a subpar soloist in my life once or twice. And mm. yet I knew that they love the Lord and I have cried in a, in a subpar vocal soloist or someone singing, but I, knowing the heart of that person and their love for Christ, I was immediately encouraged. That's basically what, what I would say. Yeah, I think that's well done. And even, you know, kind of off the cuff to point to that multiplicity of gifts in the body. And just because somebody's strong in one area need not mean no one else should take part in you know, said Christian discipline or experience. But like you said, there's joy awaiting not only the person seeking to exercise obedience, but also for those who receive, like right. you hearing a perhaps subpar, you know, from the world standard vocalist. I like to envision the smile on the face of our God when he hears his children sing. And you know, just like when our kids clamor around our feet and bring so much joy to our hearts as parents, even when they may be, you know, babbling little phrases that aren't quite intelligible English yet. They're just learning to speak. That is that that's a delight to a parent and our God takes delight. Yeah. In, his, in his people. Also, before we leave this theme of disciple one another and go into declaring God's truth to the lost, I want to underline again, I, I do believe God's favorite instrument in the local church is the voices of his people, the, the human body and singing to the Lord and making melody in our hearts to him as we're also speaking to one another with these psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Hearing one another's voices is a mighty catalyst yes. to an individual believer to go vertical and, yes. and praise God. So we need to hear one another and our brothers and sisters need to hear us. But let's think just briefly about those who are not yet in Christ. So they're not singing to the Lord or anybody else. Matt mentions in his article, we sing as a declaration to the world. So first is worship, as you pointed out, second to one another, but third, a, a declaration to the world. But give a thought or two about what Matt's after in that section. Well, I think obviously non-members come on Sundays from either the neighborhood or maybe just perhaps visiting mm -hmm. with a family member or possibly non-believers that they're seeing. We're, we're singing a theme. Our theme is Christ always. Mm -hmm. His works, his salvation, it's praise to him. And when it's in unity and in love and we're all singing those and we're singing, they're like little mini truths compacted into, you know, four verses of a song, they're hearing the gospel and we know God's word does not return void. So mm -hmm. it is a declaration to the world in, in that regard. I think even there was a, a sister, maybe it was the worship, the singing aspect of the church um, in her first visit. I think, you know what I'm talking about, a Marie. Yes. Uh, uh, you might want to, you might know the story better than I do, but we had a visitor several years ago who was, I believe raised Catholic 
Yeah. And she had not seen people worship God together like she saw when she visited Grace Church. Yeah. And she was converted. (laughs) Yes. Um, Yes. Yes. And so we know that it, it is a witness to the world, even if it's done in our church. It feels like, well, are we hiding from the world doing it only in church? But we're not. Yeah, we're, we're singing about our shared salvation. And it's like an ap- apologetic to the world, giving the reason for our hope and why we're together. Hmm. Yeah, well said. And I'm glad you remembered that example. That that psalm that you started with in Psalm 96 says in verse 3, as you read, declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous okay. works among all the people. There is an evangelistic power when the people of God together are united with one voice, giving glory to our creator. First Corinthians 14 talks about the gathered assembly. It says, if an unbeliever walks in among you and hears everyone prophesy, he will fall on his face and say, surely God is here. God is among you. And that was very much Marie's experience, a French student at St. Jude doing cell research. And uh, she walks in, had visited a few times, I happened to be working security that day and I was sitting out in the hallway at our old meeting location, the Bridges building at the L at the corner of where the hallway turned. And she walks out, was standing at the far end of the hallway and was very obviously emotional. Uh, she was crying. I see her shoulders uh, kind of up and down heaving. And uh, I, I eventually made my way down there and asked her if she was okay. And she, her words were something to the effect of pretty close to verbatim. All those people in there know God Mm. and I don't know him. It's the song service that so affected her. And and you're right. That led to soon thereafter her conversion. And now she's a glowing believer. She was single at the time. She's married to to another wonderful believer who who was also here in Memphis for research at the same time at St. Jude and came to grace. And it's just a great glorious story, but I think that's the first Corinthians 14 power of corporate declaration of truth through song. Namely, unbelievers say, wait a minute, you're all saying the same thing. You're all prophesying. You're all joyfully declaring this truth about God and his saving grace and these gospel wonders. When unbelievers hear that there is an evangelistic power and therefore all the more we should exuberantly express our, I love the way God puts it, our joyful noise. It may not be the greatest melody. (laughs) It it may not be in tune all the time. We may be an octave high or low, or we may switch two or three times along the way (laughs) for those of us who struggle to stay on tune. There's something that the spirit is doing through that broken declaration of his people, even in the heart's of those who've yet to believe. What would practical obedience to the Lord look like for grace? Us as a congregation, how can we obey the Lord in regard to this command to sing to one another? Well, I think first, as I read earlier in Colossians three sixteen, let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. We need to know God's word and study it and love it. And that delight in God first only then can we sing to him and encourage one another without it feeling forced. If you don't know the word and you don't love it, it's not going to feel natural or delightful to sing to him, let alone encourage others in song. So, I mean, I think that's 
that's the main thing. We need to know God's word. And singing is an overflow of that. And then second, I would say, obey God's word. And he commands us to sing. So when we're gathered together, like with people in your home, you could sing a hymn, teach your children hymns. So even if you don't have a great voice, it doesn't matter. Like as simple as singing one verse for a week with your kids every day or for a month, however long it takes that they learn that one verse of that one hymn and singing rich hymns that are theologically sound. They really help us to hide God's truth in our hearts. So I think just practically knowing his word and then singing it and singing hymns in the home first. Great examples. I know a handful of Grace Church families that make that their practice and speak glowingly of the experience of joy-filled worship uh, as a family as they exercise trying to sing in their homes, even if they feel like less than capable you know musicians and vocalists you've had a you've had a key part in helping grace church sing what are some ways you've been encouraged by god's grace in our body through the years as we've tried to obey god's good command to sing to the lord and to one another i mean i think one i'm so encouraged by the elders and um you are the main selectors of the music that we sing on sundays and they're always pointing us to Christ and rich in theology and not fluffy, I think is the word you use. That's a great example that we have pastors that care about what we sing about. That leads the sheep. I'm thankful for that, first of all. And then I would say the first example that came to mind was our neighbors. We live next door to the Rileys. They have the habit of singing a verse of a hymn before they pray at dinner time. On the mm. times that we have been with them, will sing the doxology or another hymn before they pray and eat their meal. I just think that is so sweet. And what a wonderful example of fitting in song where you can. And maybe one more example, even just texting a song to someone as a means of encouragement. I've done that numerous times or been the recipient of that. If you're listening to scripture filled hymns or a scripture song, and somebody comes to mind, send it to that person. Or you know someone is grieving or rejoicing, as we were talking about with, you interviewed Katie Pugh, but rejoicing with those who rejoice, weaving with those who weep. Sometimes songs are encouragements in, in that regard. Yeah, I've been the recipient of that um, as well. I've been the recipient of that so many times. And uh, sometimes songs and hymns can put to words the things we wished we could say to a person who's in a suffering situation or in a moment of joy. So I think that's a really, really good example. And it reminded me of dozens of times, Tommy Evans sent to me a, uh, a song in a, in a moment of sorrow in my life that he knew I was, I was really burdened. And um, I just appreciate (laughs) he didn't add, he didn't add uh, any commentary. He just sent a song and I listened to it and it ministered to me and I knew that it reflected what Tommy was praying for me. And he didn't write one of the words. He just sent (laughs) along the song and it, it really ministered to me. But here's the quick church history story. I've told it at Grace Church before, but in the book, Scotland saw his glory. Richard Owen Roberts recounts how a wave of the spirits movement passed along the country of Scotland for about a century. And in one case, there was a hamlet in Northern Scotland where a young faithful pastor went to minister and 
no one was receptive and, and he was ready. <laughs> he was ready to hang it up and leave and shake the dust off his feet and go elsewhere. But he really had a strong sense from the Lord that he should remain. And long story short, he, he did stay. And the Lord did a, a, a mighty work in that little obscure hamlet. And he sat at the end of his ministry. He was in his 80s when he when he said, he could not walk down the streets of the hamlet in the evening without hearing the psalms being sung through the windows of the houses. Mm-hmm. Well, 60 years before that, he could hardly find a Christian. 60 years after, he could hardly go up and down the streets at nighttime without hearing the families singing the psalms in their homes in the evening. Uh, that was to him a very obvious expression of the Lord's work. So I do believe the two go hand in hand, that the deeper the work of the spirit in our life, the more he puts a song in our heart. What a grace, the Riley's example at the dinner table. That's so uh, achievable by ordinary people like me. So thank you for that example or texting a hymn or a song. What, What are some resources that you found useful or one or two that you'd like to point Grace Church toward in light of this theme? Well, I read maybe last year or the year before, I can't remember, there's a book, little book called Sing by Keith and Kristen Getty. It's about congregational worship. It's super accessible. You don't have to have any musical knowledge to it. It's basically the uh, this article that we just talked about, could mm-hmm. maybe sum it up a bit, but talking about the aspects of singing. So that would be one. It's called Sing. And there's also the GC, the Grace Church playlist on Spotify and YouTube. I try to maintain it as much as I can. Um, We have a master playlist that we try to keep all the songs we've ever sung on that list. So that's a great resource for if you aren't sure what to listen to or need a launching pad for some worshipful music. And there's a weekly playlist as well that is uh, sometimes kept up with <laughs> but I, I do try to update that weekly with what we are singing the next Sunday so that you can prepare if you don't know a song you can listen to it so that we can sing robustly together on Sunday mm. yeah that's so wonderful I really appreciate your labors in doing that I know you're not able to do it every week that's okay but when you're able I think that's such a help. It's such an easy way. People on their commutes back and forth to work or to the grocery store or to run the kids around to their various activities. Just listen to the songs that we will sing the next Lord's Day. It it certainly helps me to be able to sing more robustly, especially when it's a new song that I wasn't familiar with or one that I'm less familiar with. So so thank you for doing that. I'll add one more. Matt Merker just uh, released a new book in the Building Healthy Churches series of the Nine Marks resources entitled Corporate Worship. I just gave it away to a worship pastor in East Memphis two weeks ago. It's a great little resource, easily accessible, and I think gets at the heart of what you've been talking about in this episode. Thank you so much for for your ministry among us, the ways the Lord's using you. We've all benefited. Thank you. Thank you, Laura Lancaster. Would you pray for Grace Church in light of this theme that we would grow in our expression of song to our great God and to one another? Sure. God, you are our creator. Um, I pray that um, as we as a church seek to delight in your word and in who you are, that 
the natural overflow um, would be that we worship you, whether in speaking or singing um, or doing. God, may it be worshipful um, to your sight and in your ears. I pray that you would help us to obey the command to sing to one another, to sing to God, to sing to one another, to encourage one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And Lord, as um, Jesus said in, uh, in John, that the hour is coming when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. Mm. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God, may we worship you not in just tongues and beautiful voices, um, but in spirit and in truth. Um, We pray all of these things in Christ's name. Amen.